Good evening, Mosaic family. We are glad you are here. Welcome on this really hot summer day. Uh, come on in if you're still grabbing coffee in the lobby. Hey, let's stand and worship our King Jesus tonight.
good. Y'all have a seat. All right. That was so fun. Thanks, guys. Y'all, hi. Welcome. I'm so glad to see you tonight. Thank you for coming to worship with us tonight. My name is Laura, and I am blessed to be a part of the worship team here at Fellowship Mosaic. And I want to speak to, if you're new tonight, if this is your first time, first, I just want to say welcome. And second, I want to say thank you. Thank you for choosing to be here with us tonight. We are so glad that you're here. And you can see on the screen uh, ways to find out more about Fellowship Mosaic and how to get connected here at Mosaic. Speaking of being connected, I wanted to tell you about something we're going to be doing during the month of July. Um, We have a lot of new people attending Mosaic now, and we know that it can be kind of hard to make connections and meet new people. Uh, Also, some of us who have even been around for a while, we uh, have launched three congregations recently out of Mosaic. So some of the people that we hung out with have been called onto those places, and we celebrate that. But some of us are looking for ways to make connections too. So we are going to have a big board out in the foyer. You may have seen it. It's the community board. And we want to use that as an avenue for us to connect with each other through shared interests, activities that we enjoy doing. Very simply, we have a form here that you can go out into the foyer after or before service and fill out with things like, my name is, I like to insert activity. And I usually do this at this time, at this place, and here's my contact info if you would like to join me. So just an opportunity to meet other people who share some of your interests and passions and maybe make a new friend. Uh, Maybe you like to hike on Sunday mornings with your family, and it'd be really cool to have another family join in with you. Or maybe you have like a standing Thursday night game night, and there's a couple extra seats at the table that somebody could fill, and we could make new friends. Friends are good, right? Yeah? Sound like fun? Okay. So we're just going to do this during the month of July. So I encourage you to go. There's already some on the board. I saw them out there just before we came in. So I encourage you to grab a form. Think about those things that are already in your rhythms. Okay? Things that you already do. Things that your family already does. And just see if someone would like to join in with you. Sound good? Sound good? Yeah, okay. Um, We also have a couple of events coming up. Take a look up here. We have our swim night coming up at the Springdale Aquatic Center on July 20th. We're also this fall going to do a camp out at Prairie Creek um, on, what is it, September 16th through the 18th. So if you like to camp, grab your tent, grab your camper. Come on, let's hang out at the lake. That sounds like fun. I'm excited. So I check my notes, make sure I didn't forget anything. Um, I know we don't have a lot of details up there. We will post more details as those events get closer on our Mosaic news page. So make sure you check that out so you can always stay informed. (sighs) That was a lot of information, wasn't it? (laughs) Let's take a moment. Will you just pause with me? Will you just take a breath? Like actually take a breath. In whatever state that you came in here tonight, will you just lay that down before the Lord? Will you just still your mind, still your heart? And let's ask him to prepare us for worship. Lord God, 
we love you and we are so grateful to be in this place that you have invited us to, to worship together, to be transformed by your word. We are so very grateful for every person in this room that you have brought here tonight. Lord, we pray for new connections, for new friendships, for adventures with each other as we just commit to just playing together this summer. God, we love you and we're so grateful for your unfailing love, your faithfulness to us. Please be with us as we continue in worship. Amen. Church, would you stand and sing with us? So we sing about God's faithfulness tonight. We hear heaven's spun creations, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful hands, they hold us safe within his promise of calling and of destiny. Kindness overwhelmed me and hope for me. 
God is good because he's faithful. Let's sing of all he's done. take some time and pray over our offering. Would would you pray this with me? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen.
Thank you, thank you, Kyle. You guys can have a seat. My name is Melanie, and I'm about to have my first earthly child in 20 days. So I am very excited um, to be here with you all tonight and to read you some scripture that preps us for our teach. So if you want to join me, we'll be reading in John chapter And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracle signs you have done if God was not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I will tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. <laughs> and Nicodemus replies, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a woman a second time in his mother's womb to be born again. And I'm really glad that's not the case. Um, Jesus answered and he said, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and gives, whoa, 
born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus said. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the people said, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Melanie. Good evening, y'all. Hey, crew, you're all here. I didn't expect to see my kiddos. Hi. Good to see you guys. My name's Matt. I work here with uh, the family team, and uh, I'm excited to jump into our passage tonight. Uh, We start section three of our study of the book of John this evening, and uh, it's going to be seven encounters with Jesus. Uh, Throughout these encounters, Jesus is going to seem to say to each person just what is needed to draw their attention toward their own unbelief. It's as if each one of them is brought to a place where they have to answer the question, do I believe? We're going to begin with Nicodemus and his nighttime visit to Jesus in chapter 3 of John. And I know this is a jump back to the early part of the book. We were just in the center of the book, kind of the climax at the raising of Lazarus. So I want to throw the, um, the, the timeline up here and kind of get a picture of where we've been and where we're going. In chapter 1, the Jewish leadership are confronting John the Baptist, trying to determine if he was the Messiah. The Messiah, that's an interesting word or concept or idea. Let's, let's break that down a little bit, and then we'll come back to the timeline. So Messiah, uh, it's from the, the Hebrew word Meshiach, and it means anointed one, or uh, it's kind of the expected one. We're waiting on this chosen one. And that word morphs, you can kind of see in the way it's even spelled, how it becomes Messiah. When it's translated into the Greek out of Hebrew, it's the word Christos. So we kind of derive the word Christ. So Messiah and Christ, same word, same idea, same root uh, that we're looking at there. And it's this collection of promises throughout the story of the Old Testament that someone, they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting for the fulfillment. And it's going to look like this. It's going to look like Adam's serpent crusher who would defeat sin but be stricken in the process. It's Abraham's blessing for all nations who would extend the goodness of God's blessing to all peoples. It's David's forever king who would never surrender his throne and would righteously rule forever. And it's Isaiah's suffering servant who would be killed for the healing of our sin. There's many others that that fill this picture out, but those are just some, some good ones. So, We have this group of leaders in chapter one that are waiting and looking for the signs of the coming Messiah. 
In chapter two, uh, several weeks ago, we visited the, the water to wine miracle. Just after that, we see Jesus in the temple and a group of Jews are gonna confront him there as he clears the temple. And they're gonna ask, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? As if he says, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? Now, these are confrontations. They're already happening now before we even get to the story of Nicodemus. There's already confrontations between Jesus and the Jewish leadership. Every other story, all the other icons and symbols there are all the other stories we've already studied. The, uh, the seven I am's, the six other miracles, they're all future. So set them aside for tonight and let's look at what's happening in chapter uh, three. But before we jump into chapter three, the very end of chapter two is going to set us up uh, very well for what John says here about Jesus. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing. They saw the signs and they believed in his name. The signs led to belief. This verse sounds just like the, the verse out of chapter 20 that we have visited all through the miracle series. As we, as we said time and time again, John tells us there the purpose of the signs is that all would believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that they would find life. And I believe that God, through John's words, is calling us to the same question. He's calling us to answer, do I believe? Do you believe? The signs of the Passover festival, they had their intended effect on some of the people, but not all. But Jesus would entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. We said in each encounter that Jesus would uh, say to each person just what was needed to draw their attention toward their unbelief. It's something that he clearly knows because he knows what is in each person. But scripture tells us repeatedly that this is something that only God can do. There should have been light bulbs from the leadership as they see these things happening. But time and time again, Jesus demonstrates his capacity to see the hearts of humanity, and he's going to do it again with Nicodemus. So we jump into our text, chapter 3. There's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He is among the best of the best that Israel has to offer. He's a teacher, okay? He's responsible for faithfully transferring the whole of the law to every student that he has. He is brilliant at it. He's a Pharisee, which makes him one of about 6,000 or so uh, in this group of people called Pharisees. They are the uh, the Puritans, so to speak, of first century Israel. They have separated themselves from the common population and they are zealous for the law of Moses. So zealous that they've actually created layers of additional laws to avoid even approaching, accidentally breaking the Mosaic law. He's also in the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 71 that include the high priest, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. You read about them all throughout the Gospels. These are an important group of people. They're the ones that make religious decisions, and under Roman rule, they're actually responsible for the civil rule. They are the ones that execute the law of the people. They rule the Jews. Now, Nicodemus came at night to Jesus and said, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. The difficulty with this is that it's a written text. We, if you've ever gotten a text message or an email that you didn't quite know what the intention or the tone of it was, I bring that to this text as well. It's hard to clarify tone without body language or, or vocal inflections or whatever else. Because I, I, I encountered some people that would say that one way of reading this is that Nicodemus is coming in kind of a smarmy backdoor politician, kind of trying to butter Jesus up. And he's saying flattering things, but his intention is to say, hey, I'm going to help you help us, Jesus. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to rein this Jesus in before he gets too far off. And I can see the argument as they built it out, but I actually prefer a second reading. And, and so I hope uh, as we kind of approach the text, we can approach it like this. I think Jesus, or I think Nicodemus is coming to Jesus in earnest under the cover of night, and he's coming in to talk. And we're not told why at night. There's a lot of really excellent potential reasons. Uh, there's a whole heap of people that are angry at Jesus, and he happens to be among the group that, that don't like him. So there's a threat to his safety. Uh, maybe it's just that there are constantly people around Jesus. And if you ever want to have a focused conversation, a crowd's not a very good place to do it. Uh, maybe it's just enjoying the relief of sundown temperatures or even John doing something interesting with the words here and playing in the dark, trying to tell us something about Nicodemus's heart. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we see here that, that Nicodemus's own words, his own testimony in verse two is that he's heard Jesus. And he's seen the signs. And something about this has provoked him to seek a private audience with Jesus. I like this interpretation because it fits with what we see about Nicodemus in a little while. Uh, the question, though, he's a learned man. He knows the scriptures. He's seen the signs. By his testimony, does he believe? Let's look back at verse two. What did he call Jesus? He called him rabbi and teacher. They're, they're very similar meaning words, okay? The promises of the Messiah should have been just beating in his head. They should have come to mind, but he doesn't say Messiah or Lord. He says teacher. I'm here teacher to teacher. Let's talk shop. I think he's missed it. And if we frame Nicodemus's question this way, then, then the, the response that Jesus here, or the response that Jesus gives to what he's heard doesn't sound so out of left field because it's a, it's a weird response. It feels like a weird response. But I think if we're thinking about what Nicodemus has just said, it's maybe not so, so much of a non sequitur. Let's see what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He jumps past the flattery of Nicodemus' statement. And like John had forecast at the end of, of chapter 2, he has seen what is in this man. If you only believe that I am a teacher, you aren't born again. Life in the kingdom, life with the Messiah, it demands a new beginning. Now, a common complaint against the faith that we hold to is that it's exclusive or that it's confrontational. But 
Jesus didn't start the language here when he said no one can see the kingdom. Nicodemus introduced the language when he said no one can perform the signs. And Jesus is just matching the impossibility with another impossibility. You said no one. Well, let me tell you another no one. No one can even see the kingdom. And he has good reason to say it. Because Nicodemus has said he saw the signs. And Jesus said, but you didn't see the kingdom. That's what you were supposed to see when you saw the sign and you didn't see it. It's a little surprising in this passage that John even uses the kingdom language. Uh, it's one of two places in the whole book that he uses it. So it's not, it's not the common theme that he's built up. But I think it's, it, it fits in with this argument we're making that Jesus is saying the specific thing to the specific person. If you are one of the ruling elites of the Jews, if you are one of the people that is constantly looking for the coming Messiah, you have a kingdom theology that needs to be wrecked because you're just not seeing it. And this phrase, born again, is the wrecking ball. The word again is the word anothen. And it means two distinct things. It either means born again, or it can be mean born from above. And it's important for us to, to remember when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here, he doesn't say, born again, and he doesn't say born from above. He says born anothen. And it's going to be up to Nicodemus to, to figure out which of those two meanings Jesus was, was asking him to, to understand. Born again from above is something Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's saying it can happen right now. In, in the midst of this conversation, Nicodemus, it could happen. And that that's not something that, that Nicodemus would expect. Uh, D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, explains it well. And, and I'm going to read this slowly because I, I think it really helps set up what Nicodemus would have believed about the kingdom. If the kingdom does not dawn until the end of the age, and it will, then of course one cannot enter it before it comes. Predominant religious thought in Jesus' day what Nicodemus would have believed, affirmed that all Jews would be admitted to that kingdom, apart from those that were guilty of a deliberate apostasy or extraordinary wickedness. But here was Jesus telling Nicodemus, a respected and conscientious member, not only of Israel, but of the Sanhedrin, the elite ruling Jews, that he cannot enter the kingdom unless he is born again. The coming of the kingdom at the end of the age can be described as the regeneration of the world. This is what Nicodemus would have held, a far-off future reality. But here what is required is the regeneration of the individual before the end of the earth, the end of the world, and in order to enter the kingdom. Regeneration is the theological word for born again. It isn't just applied at the end of the world like the Jews have been doing, but it's applied now, before the end, not to the nation, but to every individual. And it's required in order to see the kingdom. Let me step away and do something different for a second. If I had a pear tree in my yard and I chose this was going to be the year that I'm going to just 
love this pear tree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna water it more faithfully than even drip irrigation could accomplish. And I'm, I'm gonna fertilize it just so well, top of the line stuff, the best compost dressing. What do you know, just, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna keep pests off it. I'm gonna nurture it. It's gonna, my wife's gonna be jealous by how good I'm taking care of this tree, okay? At the end of the season, this pear tree is going to drop pears. It'll never drop apples. I will never get apples from this pear tree, okay? I'll never get apples from this pear tree. I'm kind of playing with the lyrics of a song here. There's a kid's song that my family loves uh, that, that goes like this. It goes, apples don't grow on pear trees. Apples don't grow on pear trees. Apples don't grow on pear trees. No apples there. It only grows pears. It's pretty <laughs> redundant. It's a great kid's song. Love it a lot. If I want apples, I need a new tree. And the lady that wrote the, the lyrics to this song, her name's Katie Bowser. She sings with a group called Rain for Roots. She, she kind of described why she wrote this song. She said, it's easy for me to teach my daughter to say the appropriate, polite, thoughtful thing at the right time. It's like tying apples onto a pear tree. However, it is a work of God to change little and big hearts. It's silly to pretend that one kind of tree bears another kind of fruit, right? Jesus, change our hearts to bear good fruit. It's a work of God to change little and big hearts. Or to say it in a silly way, to get new fruit, it's got to be a new root. And born anothen is a new root. Let's see how Nicodemus heard him. He says, how can someone... Be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born again. Nicodemus is brilliant. We said this already. He's one of the best of the best. And we've heard, he's heard Jesus tell him that he had to be born a nothing. And it's clear here that he heard it and understood it to be born again. But it also seems like he's noticed that he hasn't quite followed what Jesus' intended point is. So I think he kind of says, surely you can't mean this. Surely that's not what you're saying, right? In the same way, I think we will need to set aside our own assumptions about this phrase, born again or born from above, because it too today has a different feel or meaning than it had when Jesus kind of first uttered it. So it's not a movement or a voting block or a kind of a dated movement of believers. There's something really specific that Jesus is saying here, and, and let's make sure we don't miss it. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they were born of water and the spirit. Nicodemus didn't grasp the message on the first pass when the phrase was born in Nothan. So Jesus tries again and he mixes up the words to help him hear. He uses a totally different word, not again from above, not the dual word, but he just says of the spirit, born of the spirit. There's not gonna be a question there. And he elaborates, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And this is in Everyone must. This you is a y'all. All y'all must be born again. Jesus 
kind of confrontationally to Nicodemus says, hey, this analogy, this thing I've said about birth from heaven, birth from above, birth again, birth of the spirit, it shouldn't have stumped you. You're a studied man. This, this shouldn't have been, you have the theological clout to grasp this. It shouldn't have gotten you. But the wind, he says, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I want to go back to that phrase of born of water and the Spirit. There's about half a dozen um, common interpretations for, for this, and uh, I favor this one. So you, you might have heard others, but this is the one I, I, I feel like is best supported in what's going on here. You'll remember that I said the Pharisees had talked in chapter 1 with John the Baptist, and they were trying to determine, are you the Messiah? There was something about what was going on in his ministry that they could see, hey, this feels like this thing we've been looking for. John's water, John's baptisms that he was performing were these water baptisms. But the point of what he was doing, you can almost set the water aside because his point was repent. He just kept saying, my whole ministry is a ministry of repentance. I'm trying to get the people to turn back to God. And so I think what Jesus is doing here to this man who was among the Sanhedrin, among the people protesting or or, or kind of trying to fight with John to figure out, are you the one? Are you not the one? I think he's saying to them, hey, remember it's repentance, repentance and the spirit. And this word spirit, it's another one of these double words. John kind of likes these double words. It's uh, the word pneuma, it's spirit and wind. Pneuma, think like pneumatic tools are air tools, or pneumonia is like air breather sickness. It's like that lung sickness, right? You try and control the wind, and it's going to blow wherever it wants. And you try and control the spirit, good luck. You won't be able to. You and I need God to cause us to be born again. If the analogy is birth, think about it. In birth, someone else is anguishing and bleeding and working to bring the birth about. None of us birthed ourselves. It was somebody else's effort, somebody else on our behalf. The spirit of God is the one that brings about the new birth. I think this is one of those passages where we can ask, then is it predestination? Is it God's chosen work? Is it his action or is it man's free will? Is it his choice and his action? And the frustrating and deeply satisfying answer is yes, it is. Yes, it is. I don't have trouble with that. Saying, God, I'm coming your way and I pray that you will come mine. Maybe my favorite prayer in the scriptures is really, it just captured it perfectly. I believe... God, I'm coming your way. Help my unbelief. I'm begging you to come mine. So Nicodemus hears this interesting statement of wind and spirit and says, how can this be? And he said, fewer and fewer things. And this is the last we hear of him in chapter three. And Jesus is gonna go hard after him. He says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? You are the teacher. There's a singular article in the Greek. So you're the one in the God-given role to lead the people. 
Where you lead them is where they will go. And if you lead them toward failure, they're going to fail. They're going to miss it. They're not going to see the kingdom coming. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. You leaders fail. You who look longingly for the Messiah to come. You've been waiting, you've been looking, you've been counting it down, but you don't see that all of the signs are pointing to the person standing right in front of you. And because you fail to see, the nation is going to fail to see. We're going to get exceptions instead of national revival. I've spoken to you of earthly things like wind and birth, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things, the coming of the kingdom, the resurrection of the individual, the future indwelling of the Holy Spirit, even the Trinitarian nature of God. Big things that are hard to comprehend. But if you don't get these simple analogies, you're going to lose it, he says. And he says again and again, you don't believe, will you believe? The word believe just keeps coming up and up. And the question is begged, do we believe? It's, it's not that Nicodemus is not smart enough. We know that. It's that he's unwilling to accept Jesus' testimony. His heart cry hasn't been, I believe, help my unbelief. He hasn't come God's way and God hasn't come his way. We continue in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. The book of Daniel says there will be one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Jesus borrows this title as if to say, do you want to understand heavenly things? Listen to the man from heaven. I've seen it. I'm there. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus references an interesting, somewhat obscure and bizarre story out of Numbers chapter 21. I'd say you should read it this week in kind of a devotional time. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's possible that he included this because Nicodemus is studied enough to have grasped this story, remembered it, called it to mind. Um, but he, he tells this story. And this chapter 21 is, is a picture of Israel in the desert. They're grumbling against God again. They've, they've just been delivered from Egypt and they're, they're finally going to receive the punishment that is due to all of their griping and, and grumbling and, and, and rebellion. And it comes in the form of venomous snakes. They show up in the camp and they begin biting people and people are dying. And the people then, they repent. They turn back toward God, away from their sin. They acknowledge it. They ask Moses, Moses, pray to God for us that he would take the snakes away. And God then tells Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses does that. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. They don't do anything. And I don't really know what they could have done. They're, they're laying out dying of snake bites all over the place. They don't sacrifice anything to this snake. They don't touch the snake. They don't even pray. They ask Moses to pray on their behalf. And the snake is lifted up for them. They see and they live. 
In some of the encounters we're going to visit, people respond just immediately to him. Immediately. But Nicodemus is not one of them. I feel like this encounter just sticks with him for years. If we kind of could rough out a timeline, this conversation happened sometime after Passover, 27 AD. About two years later, after 29 AD's Passover, John tells us that Nicodemus stands up in front of the Sanhedrin to, to, to ask them to at least just listen to Jesus before they condemn him. And it's, it's better than anybody else in the Sanhedrin's doing at that point. He's, he's actually doing something to listen. Um, I don't know if that's where the saving faith comes in or not. I, I, I can't really speak on it. But I know by chapter 19 in the book of John, we see, this is after Passover 30 AD, one more year, so three years from this encounter, it's after Christ's murder that Nicodemus claims the corpse of the Savior. And he helps Joseph of Arimathea prepare it for burial. This is shocking. Something has changed in Nicodemus. He's in public and he's doing work that a woman would do, preparing a body for burial. It's defiling work. And yet he's one of two rich, affluent, I mean, just important men that are there doing this job. Something has happened. If he didn't get it yet, I think he has an answer for our question now. I think that Numbers 21 story of the snake has been that peculiar phrase of the Son of Man lifted up has just been turning over in his mind for years. And he, he gets to the cross and he gets it. It's a, it's a picture of the cross. I get it. It's a picture of the cross. The one who came down from heaven is the one lifted up on a cross to die. He gets it. He's, he's raised up then for all to look at and find life. And that word lifted up is exalted. It's the fruit, the very fruit of what Jesus's life and death and resurrection is. It produces worship, exaltation, lifted upness. And then we get this climactic verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're going to come back each week in this encounter series to John 3.16 because I think it just sets up these encounters well. This key word believe is the, the question of reckoning in each of these. The Christ who meets each one of these individuals is the Christ that meets each one of us. So there's something in these stories for us. And I've said it again, I'm saying it again. The point of these is to call these people to see their unbelief and, and force them to answer. Do you believe? To turn toward him. Do I believe? They've got to answer that question. The question that he poses to Nicodemus, the leader, the teacher, the, the man of such prominent influence, he's got the answers, he's respected, he's older. He gives the audacious command to be born again, born from above, to leave behind all the things that granted him power and prestige in front of the people and instead respond with unhindered need. That's what babies do. They come out only needy, only needy. He was a healthy and beautiful pear tree. And when you're a healthy tree, it's impossible almost to imagine that what you need is to get cut down. Jesus, in a 
Another place in, in Matthew 21 tells the Sanhedrin that the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting in ahead of them. Sick people and sickly, broken, needy trees, they get it. They fall a lot easier. Time and again, they fall a lot easier. But the conflict is still that a pear tree is never going to be an apple tree. Such a silly statement. I feel goofy just saying this statement in front of you. It's such an obvious thought. Um, It's such a common testimony, though. Someone will say, I spent my whole life in church, and I never heard the gospel. I was tying apples on a pear tree. It happened less than a month ago, I think, at the, at the student retreat. They, they drove down to the beach and spent a week uh, playing and worshiping. And two of the boys, Ben and Mitchell, both said, I've been in church my whole life. And I'm seeing that I was not born again. I'm not a new tree. I've, I've not been made new from above. It's not happened to me. And they felled their pear trees and asked God to plant an apple tree in their life. So if you're sitting here tonight with just deep gratitude in your heart, the question, do I believe, comes up and and you're like, I do. And I remember the the moment that I picked God and he picked me back and I've just been so grateful. And and you can see the fruit of it in your life. Then in the the coming moment, as we pause and and just uh, spend some time kind of Selah thinking and, and, and interacting with God, be grateful. Just express that gratitude. Tell God, Thanks for the fruit of that in your life and ask him to continue to work. But if you're sitting here feeling like the question, do I believe has gone unanswered in your life? Don't leave it unanswered. Don't leave it unanswered. We can pray together this evening and ask God to uproot that dead tree and to to put in its place the the new living tree. And I'm... I'm going to pray now for us, and you can pray with me. God, I cannot birth myself, but I see my need to be born again, born of the Spirit. I can say I believe or even that I want to, but I need you to help my unbelief. I'm asking you to do that work. As you died and were raised again, Will you put to death in me my old self and bring me to new life in you? My sin has left fruit rotting on my branches, and I know that I don't need treatment. I need to be born again, a new person with new fruit. Thanks that the cross has made that possible. I'm ready to follow you forever. Amen.
hopes we have as a church to be a culture of prayer, a culture that's pursuing God in the same way he pursues us. So we're actually going to have our prayer team available tonight. If you need prayer, to pray with you, if you even if you're with your community group, you can pray with them as well. But we want us to start to envision this part of our services as a response time not only speaking to God, we're listening to God to hear his voice. So I just want to invite that to this moment, whatever that looks like for you. So if you're a part of the prayer team tonight, just make yourself available on the sides where you can be seen as we continue our worship tonight. And church, let's stand and proclaim this good news about our God, sing and win before the throne.
together that we believe in Christ as we've been faced with this question that Natal proposed tonight. Do you believe? So let's sing it. not to forget your gospel, Father, and what drives us to believe, the hope that you have saved us from our sins. You're, you're close to us, Father. We love you, God. Thank you for helping us to believe. Help our unbelief, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Awesome, church. Hey, what a great week. Thanks for being here. Uh, hey, one, one quick announcement on the community board back there. We just want to remind you to just take a picture of it. Don't feel like you have, don't, please don't take it because then we'll get lost in communication. Just take a picture of it um, and let's uh, get prepared to go as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. See you next week, church.